Friday back at a year on the fan. Let's go out to the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Cleveland.com's Ashley Bastock joining us here at 92.3 The Fan. Ashley, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Good to hear from you as always. Uh, how did you like? I listen. I love Taylor Swift's. Uh, I loved her outfit the last uh, last game. I don't know if we're calling it that, but the jacket made by uh, Mrs. Uzcheck. I thought that was great. And I think she's. I, I think too. she's coming into her own here. I know. I'm obsessed. Can we talk about Kristen Uzcheck's jacket making ability? I'm so glad she's getting her flowers. The <laughs> fact that Kyle Uzcheck is everywhere on social media. Commenting anytime he sees one of those jackets, and not just Taylor Swift, the Taylor Lautner, Aiden Hutchinson jacket, um, the Simone Biles, Brady Mahomes, yeah, dress, yes, so the Simone Biles jacket. I mean, these jackets are about to be the hottest new accessory. I know I saw um, Aiden Hutchinson's mom even requesting her own Hutchinson jacket, which I love Melissa Hutchinson. I hope Kristen honors that request she is the sweetest woman ever um but i'm just glad she's getting her flowers because what work that is to have to make these jackets from scratch i think it's it's awesome it's a fun little side storyline in these playoffs it's so much talent involved there and i got so tired of looking at the comments and people being like ah oh, but she's married to a football player and she's wealthy beyond well it's like it doesn't erase the hard work i get so mad at that stuff like you can come from a wealthy family, and I'm not from a wealthy family at all by any stretch of the measure, but I can recognize you can come from a wealthy family and still work hard, and it doesn't make your accomplishments any less great. No, and those jackets, I mean, they are amazing. Like, I think, and I've seen a lot of, like, discourse about this online. Um, the fact that, and I've, I have famously complained about this, not, not very recently, but more so, I would say pre-reporter days. The women's option mm. for clothes is just not like what's popular right now. It's not what's in style. I think like you can oftentimes find stuff that's you know not officially licensed that is more in style than officially licensed gear that the teams themselves sell across the league. Yeah. So I think something like this happens. It just goes to show. I think there is a huge untapped market that the NFL should get on. Maybe they should bring somebody like Kristen Juszczyk in as a consultant to help, you know, revamp some women's design or women's specific merch because there's a bunch of women who love the NFL, and I think there's a huge, there's so much untapped potential there. Yeah, I thought baseball was awesome with that. Baseball always did a really yes. good job. I think baseball at one point, did they bring in – it might have been like Ashley Judd or someone like that. And, and like, I mean, they brought in somebody that was like high profile that had some style and was, and they were basically just threw a bunch of money at her and was like, hey, fix us and make us better. And then <laughs> and look around, though, like you go to a base, you go to a Guardians game. There's all sorts of cool options. Yeah, there are. I think they're they're a great example. I think even like the NBA has gotten better, too, in recent years. Like, sure. I think the NBA re really like leans into that streetwear kind of style that's gotten popular and like the athleisure look that's gotten popular in the last like five years. Um, I feel like I'm a fashion correspondent right now. You're nailing but it. Yeah, you're nailing it right now. <laughs> you would never know, right? Um, but no, I think there's there's so much like I'm glad people are talking about this because I really think. There are so many options that are available out there, um, and I, I do. I truly I love those jackets. I was like, I would buy one of those jackets. <laughs> like, right? Like, it might be kind of weird to show up in a Travis Kelsey jacket <laughs> to Brown practice next winter, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe in my free time I can sport one if they go mainstream here. I was going to ask you, you can't wear a Browns player's jacket, could you? Because that no. might be a little too on the nose there. It'd be like, uh, like Nick Chubb looking at you as you're wearing a Nick Chubb one might be a little bit different. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a little weird, I think, if I would buy a Browns player-specific gear. And I don't want just, like, a generic NFL puffer jacket. But, yeah, you know what? Like, you could justify the Travis Kelsey thing, right? Like, the Taylor Swift connection. He's from Cleveland. Like, I don't know. People are weird in those locker rooms, though, Ashley. They're they're weird. They're like, they might be like, all right, I guess Ashley doesn't cover the Browns anymore. I was going to say, I don't think any player would want to talk to me if I if I wore one there. But, you know, maybe I could have it in my closet and just keep it for my off days, which is Tuesdays during the season. Very fun. All right. Well, I, I can tell I don't want to talk about the game that happened on Saturday because I'm like, let's talk about anything but that game <laughs> that happened. Did you go to Houston or no? I did not. You didn't. Okay. Uh, that game was just start to finish. I, I don't know how you had it. I know you had them winning before the game got underway because everyone everyone in Northeast Ohio had them winning, so it's not a bad thing. I just remember seeing the, the Cleveland.com post where it's like, everyone in our staff except for one person, and I was like, I don't think it's going to be Ashley, Dan, or Mary Kay, so I think <laughs> we're okay here. But um, how did it all go wrong, Ashley? Yeah, you know, I think ultimately – this team just did not show up, and I think they've admitted that. And I, now it's figuring out why were they not ready for this moment that they had played the whole season for. And I think there are some bigger picture things defensively that went wrong. I thought it was really interesting to hear C.J. Stroud after the game say, we knew they weren't disciplined with their eyes. And I think – that's almost to me like a byproduct of what makes a Jim Schwartz defense so good. Like it's so much causing chaos and being fast and reacting fast and all those things. But I do think, uh, you know, a, a side effect of that becomes eh, we're, we're not going to be always looking in the right spot where we should, or we're going to react too quickly to something. And that's where mistakes happen. I think you saw it uh, on that play where I believe it was Ronnie Hickman that got beat um on the sideline like that's an example of it I just think that ultimately though when you look at this season everyone's kind of making this point about was this why was this defense so bad on the road for me I know we've discussed this it's less about the location of those games maybe that does have something to do with it ultimately but their worst performances of the year and I'll throw out the first Baltimore game because there were so many you know, extenuating circumstances in that week four game. So I'm looking at Denver against the Rams and then this game on Saturday. It was the savviness of the quarterbacks that they played that I think really did them in. And the first two, you know, Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford, two guys who are really quick to react. They're veteran guys, obviously, Super Bowl guys. Um, They knew how to read this defense and go through their reads quickly and make them mess up. And I think C.J. Stroud, he's not a vet, but it's the same thing. His processing is amazing. That's why he only threw five interceptions during the regular season at 23 touchdowns. So for me, it's less about, oh, this defense couldn't perform on the road, and more about, hey, when we face these quarterbacks that are on another level, and again, Russell Wilson, for better and worse, what's happened in Denver, he's a veteran who's going to know how to you know, counter this style of defense. It's about the Browns figuring out, okay, what's the next step for when we beat the when we have to face these guys? Because you look at that schedule next year, it's a lot more formidable in the regular season if everybody's healthy and they got lucky with some guys not being healthy this year. And I think that's just the reality.
Yeah, I guess my response back to that, though, and it's the part that just makes it so confusing to me, is you're 100% right. You could even throw Gardner Minshew in that mix of guys that just kind of was able to figure out the Browns for whatever reason. Yeah, he's another example, yeah. But but I look at the guys that they did beat, you know. They they shut down Brock Purdy. I know there was injuries in that game, but they got, they got the best of Brock Purdy. Lamar Jackson, seven weeks ago, it's the only game he's looked bad in the previous three months. He's going to win the MVP this year. You know, they, they shut down Trevor Lawrence, who I, he might not have had the best season. We think we thought very highly of Trevor Lawrence now for going on three years. Every quarterback, like, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks that I'm naming off here that should have the same processing abilities of C.J. Stroud, at least. And I, I don't know what made C.J. and really Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson so different than those guys. So for me, like to go back through those, like the Baltimore game is obviously the Browns' best game of the season, right? That's when all the pieces came together. We saw it for one brief shining moment, and now it's going to be the game for better and worse that we talk about for the next nine months. And maybe that game was an anomaly ultimately. Like we won't know that, right, until we get deep, deep, deep into next season. Trevor Lawrence had a bad ankle that game. I think that severely impacted him. And then Brock Purdy, yes, like I do think the 49ers are a good team. But, again, he didn't have Debo Samuel. He didn't have Christian McCaffrey for the second half of that game. I think that ultimately, like, it, you know, the Browns did what they needed to do to win that game. But also, if Jake Moody does his job and makes that fairly easy field goal, yeah, that, that game is a different – it's a totally different Yeah, but, story. but they still shut down the quarterback, though, is the, is the point, though, even though they were in position to win. But we still would have looked at it like that was a big yeah. win. I, I agree with you, though, and I, I, I'm kind of – I like building up that case more because that case makes more sense to me. And I would, I would add in Joe Burrow in week one, also through an injury yeah, right there. Exactly. We, we shut him down, yeah, and it looks, it looks nice. You're like, oh, it's Joe Burrow – but it, it, you need you need the whole picture of it all, and so maybe we just got to look at the Baltimore game as a as an anomaly, as you said. And I mean, I think too there was something there, right? And I do think there was something special about this team. I think this defense is good, but I am curious to see what this is going to look like now when you have to play a harder schedule, when you have guys like Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott coming to town. I do think it's it's going to be a bit tougher of a challenge. That's the nature when you do well in the NFL the following year, your schedule is going to be more challenging. So I do think there are some legitimate questions about where they go from here and how they adjust. But I also don't mean to say like, oh, this defense was not, they were total pretenders all year. Cause I don't think that's the case either. Like, I don't think this is black and white. I do think there is some gray area. Um, and obviously like wins, they mask a lot. But I also think it's fair to acknowledge, like, hey, there were certainly some times this year where they got lucky. But, you know, a lot of teams get lucky, and you have to take advantage. You still have to take advantage. They managed to do that a lot. And I think hopefully what the finished product of this all looks like is like that Baltimore game, and it isn't an anomaly. And you bring enough pieces back, and you go out and fill the handful of holes that are going to be on the roster – and you come back, you know, taking a step forward next year as opposed to, like, one step back like we saw in 2021 after the 2020 playoff year. Ashley Bastock joining us, Cleveland.com. Uh, so you're in the locker room. You talked to a lot of these guys. I, I thought the, the theme before the game, I thought there was way too much Super Bowl conversation. I didn't make a big deal about it because at the time I was like, hey, maybe they could go to the Super Bowl. In hindsight, though, looking back on it, do you feel like maybe maybe they put the cart before the horse a little bit too much? I kind of have struggled with this. like Just because, for me, I don't know that I necessarily mind that because it is the ultimate goal. 
And they had hammered home that 1-0 mindset every single week um, so much. And I do think they did believe that. But, you know, I think in 2020, from what I remember, it was like the similar a similar thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that Kevin very much had those guys believing in week to week, you know, we're focusing on the task at hand. And then once they got to the playoffs, guys did open up and start talking about that, you know, a Super Bowl and, and all of that. So I don't know if the focus wasn't there, um, but it's fair to question, I think. However, I do think it's one of those things, like, if they win, like, no one's talking about it. So yeah. it's one of those, to me, that's much easier to criticize in hindsight. And But I will say I just feel like the messaging this year in general was good and was uniform for them. So I'm not bumping on it too much now because they lost this one game. I do really think those guys believe that for most of the year. I don't think that just totally went away once they got to the wild card. You know, another thing in hindsight is the idea that they rested everyone in week 18. Uh, Again, given all the knowledge we have, I I don't know. At the time, I said I thought it was a good idea. I did say I thought Joe Flacco, I would have thrown him for maybe a quarter or a half. Just because it felt like it, it, the way that he was going, he needed the rhythm of everything, I feel like. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Stefanski would redo it any different, though, Ashley. Yeah, no one got asked about that and, of course, didn't really say anything, um, <laughs> understandably. So, but I that's another one, too, that's kind of tough for me because you can see the argument for each side. Um, and I just think, ultimately, this is a team that had dealt with so many injuries all year when you get that chance to say, hey, our seat's locked up. It is what it is. We'd rather make sure everybody's healthy because, again, the flip side of that is if you throw Joe Flacco out there um, and you got, you know, Sam Hubbard that hits him really hard and Mm -hmm. he's suddenly in the concussion protocol, then you're really in trouble because who are you throwing out there? You're down to Jeff Driscoll and P.J. Walker at that point. Um, And then it's going to be really hard to win a playoff game on the road in Houston. So I'm I'm I did not in real time think, and eh, maybe they should play these guys to keep their rhythm going. I advocated for them resting as many guys as humanly possible, and even like to the point that I'm like, hey, there's no you should not be throwing Miles Garrett out there so he can try and you know wrap up this defensive player of the year case and get a few more sacks. Like I just didn't think any of that was worth it at the time. So I think I kind of still fall on that side, just given how that year went with injuries for them. What happens to Joe Flacco in your mind? You know, it's funny because I could see a world in which he, you know, wants to come back here. And I, but I think ultimately he wants to show, Hey, I can still start. And I think that's what he did this year. So I think ultimately he just played too well to stay here is kind of how I view it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very similar situation to Jacoby Brissett last year. Like he showed, hey, I can be a starter. He went and went to Washington where he had a chance to compete for the starting job. He didn't win it, but it was still a chance to compete. So I could see, you know, the same thing happening to Joe, maybe being a bridge quarterback for um, a team that drafts somebody young, maybe going to compete for a starting job. We'll just kind of see how the quarterback landscape shakes out. But I do think, for me, I would be surprised if he is back. And I do think the Browns need to spend some time reevaluating that backup spot um, because I think he probably will have a chance to start. We know how hard teams, you know, struggle to find the guy. And especially if you have somebody younger that you want to take some time to develop. Joe Flacco would be a really good voice in that room to kind of help a rookie or a young quarterback along, I think. 
Ashley, fantastic stuff as always. It's always a treat to have you on, and hopefully we can catch up with you soon. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, good stuff right there with Ashley Bastock, Cleveland.com. Uh, of course, always check out everything she's doing over there. She does a fantastic job. All right, uh, we're going to touch on what she's had to say about the quarterbacks. I, I am wondering if I need to rethink a lot of the conversations we've been having about the defense and the quarterbacks. We have seen Saturday based off of some of what Ashley had to say there, and also, do you feel good for Baker Mayfield? 216 474 0092. We'll do it all next. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterman here with you on the fan.